Welcome to episode 115 of the Daniel Yoris Podcast with today's guest, DJ Fox. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by DJ Fox. DJ, what's up, man? Thanks for being here. I appreciate you. Yeah, appreciate appreciate the invite to come on, man. I'm just kind of relaxing. Just got off the treadmill a little bit ago and yeah, eat some food, enjoying the yeah, day. <laughs> Living it. it on the on the road on the road to recovery. Now yeah. I want to hype you up a little bit here. You won. You are the champion, the current reigning champion of the world's toughest modder event. Can you talk about the event a little bit and like actually let me let me backtrack a little bit. <laughs> you are that, but how do you describe yourself? Because you do so many different mm-hmm. things and and pursue so many different avenues within like the realm of of fitness or competition. But how do you describe who you are? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't know if anybody's actually asked me that. Um, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is I'm just I'm an ultra endurance athlete, right? Um, so like, I don't know, I really kind of dive into the the idea that when things get long and difficult and kind of grueling, like I live in that world, but I'm also, I'm very, I'm, I'm not a one trick pony by any means. I'm, I'm pretty capable across the field. Um, and I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still kind of, I'm, I'm new to, to this. In all reality, I, I've been chasing endurance athletics for just over five years now. Um, you know, I mean, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty small career so far. So I'm figuring out ultra endurance athlete. Um, I like to call myself a hybrid athlete as well. So I like to think I'm you know capably strong and and enduring. Yeah, I think hybrid is a is a good word to sum it up in a way because the events that you compete in are so non-specific that it's actually incredibly um, impressive to me how you even would go about preparing for that. Because if you're running something like a marathon or a hundred meter sprint or like a very specialized athletic event, you know exactly what to expect, exactly more or less within, you know, 90% confidence, what the conditions are going to be and what the event is going to be. But then, you know, you roll up to something like the Go Ruck games that you just came back from. And it's like, you literally don't even know what you're doing until they say go. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, how do you even go about preparing for these things when it's like, yeah, you just kind of got to be good at everything and don't over specialize anywhere, anywhere, but just be good at everything. Yeah. I mean, it's like, like having a good engine is never, never going to be a weakness, right? So, you know, that's something you can always work on. Um, I've been focusing on the really long events basically since I started, I don't know why they just kind of called to me. I was looking at like these Moab 240, right? These 200 mile races, these 100 mile races. I'm like, I think I'd like to do one of those one day. Um, so that was always the focus. Like, how can I go forever? Right. And if I can't, like, where, where is that point where I'm actually going to be forced into submission and have to stop at something? So the main drivers for me have, have been the long distance stuff, right? So and obstacle course racing in particular, now you're starting to throw in some more of those variables, variables you're talking about where you have to be multifaceted. You need some strength and a little bit of skill work and agility along with this big aerobic base that you got to take for these long events. And then World's Toughest Mudder, like you had mentioned, had, had become the focus a few years back. Um, and like you have an idea of what you're getting into. Like, you know, a couple of these constraints that you're going to be under, right? It's a five mile loop. It's 24 hours. There's 20 obstacles. Whoever does the most laps is the winner, right? Um, and then outside of that, you got, you've got the, uh, the weather and, you know, what the actual obstacles are because you don't know those until, until like maybe a week out. So you have to be ready for about everything, but you, you know, there's a few things that you can really always be touching up. I want to go a little bit back in time then. How did you actually, what was your introduction? 
to all of this? Were you a distance runner in, in high school or like growing up and, you know, cross country and whatever was offered in, in high school and stuff like that? Or did you kind of just wake up one day or see it on a podcast somewhere like, oh shit, these guys run hundred mile races. Like that's a thing that humans can do. Like I want to do that. Like how did you, how did you actually start to do that? Yeah. So, I mean, my endurance background prior to 2018, I had run two years of track in high school and I did hundred meter dash and high jump, right? So very short events. Like no, I was not fantastic at the hundred meter. I think I ran like 13 seconds also there. So no real promise, no real light to be shown, but I actually, after that, I ended up getting sick and I had what is called diverticulitis, which is like some dead ends in your large intestine. And up until that point, I was lifting really heavy, um, just getting jacked, bodybuilding, powerlifting style stuff. And I got up to just over 200 pounds, had my first attack with the illness, and I ended up in the hospital for eight days. No food, no water. Came out of that, like, obviously very dehydrated, right? But I was like, you know, 180 pounds. And I'm like, dang, that's kind of sucked. And and then I couldn't really train for a while because accompanied with the diverticulitis was an abscess about the size of both of my fists put together in between two layers of my large intestine. So that put me out for quite a while. I recovered from that. I started lifting again, training, but then like every, every one, every month or so for quite a while after that, I ended up back in the emergency room with just these, these unbearably sharp pains in my side that ended up just being inflammation from the diverticulitis again and again and again. So at one point I had eventually elected into surgery to have that bit removed. And then after my surgery in February of 2018, uh, I ended up coming out of that like 150 pounds. And I'm like, dude, I just spent like almost a decade putting all that weight on and it's gone. Right. And I'm still like, I haven't tried lifting yet. I don't know where the strength is. And kind of, I was, I was in the hospital the day after my surgery and I saw Cameron Haynes, uh, on Instagram. One of my buddies sent me his profile and it, he was, you know, had just done like the Moab or getting ready for it. Um, and then noticing all these, these ultra endurance, that was the first window I had into that. I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know that this was a thing, right? hundred mile races, 200 mile races. And for whatever reason, laying in the hospital bed, I was like, I want to do these, you know, it's like, sometimes you find these dark places and they bring you to the light, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, recovered from the surgery, ended up, you know, a bedridden for a couple of days, like just trying to get up and walk to the end of the apartment. And then one day, like getting to the bottom of the stairs and back up. And then the next day, like trying to get to the end of the block and like that snowballed into a mile and two miles and five miles and 10 miles. And five years later, a 24 hour obstacle course racing <laughs> world championship win, you know? So what a crazy, crazy journey. Does, does the diverticulitis still affect you in any way? Like, do you still have to like really watch what you eat and whatever, or are you, or are you mostly past it? I have been past it since that surgery date. So awesome. Nice. Yeah, it was great to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, in hindsight, for sure. Right. You never know. Yeah. It's one of those, those tricky things. It can obviously, you know, throw a whole, it's not, it's not a very, it's not good to have at any time, but like in, in a sport where you've got to be big and not being able to eat is uh, not really a good thing for that. Not right? at all. Now I'm sure, you know, obviously your, your fuel and your nutrition really matters for endurance, but in a different way. But I want to ask, what comparisons or similarities do you find, if any, between the ultra endurance and like the the max strength or the powerlifting kind of events? Because of course, like the time of them is very different, but they're both extremely grueling and demand a lot of grit and mental toughness as well as hard training in different ways. What what similarities do you draw between those two kind of uh, activities? 
Yeah, I'd say the parallels are like no matter what, at the end of the day, you need you need consistency. You need to be in it and in the trenches every single day if you want to get anything done. Um, yeah, it's it's they're so vastly different, right? Like you have these massive rest periods when you're training for the powerlifting, <laughs> and I don't know, it kind of like n- neither of them have like really sexy work that you know everybody wants to see. It's like these like little daily grinds of like just barely pushing the needle man again like consistency i think that's the the closest thing that they're related to as with anything that you want to progress at you just you got to stay in it all day every day and it's like if you're not kind of obsessed and totally immersed in these things then you're leaving you're leaving something on the table yeah totally agree and i mean that's that's probably the thing that i repeat the most on on this podcast is that like everything comes back to consistency now you don't have to be the world's strongest man or strongest woman or you know winning these ultra endurance events or whatever but like if you want to be the greatest at them or if you want to even be better there has to be some element of consistency to what you're doing now another thing that i noticed that's probably different between you and, and, and you know, Anthony and like you guys team and, and a lot of other content that I see in the endurance world is that you guys actually do strength training. Like you're still lifting pretty heavy, although you are an endurance athlete. So can you talk about how the actual strength training and like legit heavy lifting, like you're doing some one RMs and whatnot is actually helping your ability to be an endurance athlete? Yeah. I mean, it's like you're, you're going off these percentages also. Right. So, and in, in my world of obstacle course racing, I'm not just a pure runner. So the, the mass, like being a little bit bigger, isn't, isn't as big of a detriment to somebody who's just going out and trying to do like crunch these numbers and run just a marathon, right? And like the lighter, the lighter you are, the faster you are, right? Um, and then, yeah, it's like as I'm, I'm out there and I have to carry something, something heavy, right? Like these are now smaller percentages of my one rep max, right? So theoretically I can do these for longer, right? Like, Strength is, is never going to be a weakness. Um, me, me being, being strong in these events is like, it's making me durable. You know, I can, I can be out there for a long time and I, I seem to handle a lot of abuse and, and I do (laughs) credit that to a lot of the strength training, right? Like in my past before getting sick and then maintaining it after the fact as well. Yeah. The durability is certainly part of it. And I think it's a good, good segue into just discussing the, the, the Gora games that you came off of. Yeah. You picked up a little bit of an injury there, but it was in like a combat situation, which we'll get into, which is one of those things where it's like, when you're, when you're fighting someone, there's going to be some unknowns or some things that you can't control. And that's a very different type of injury than, you know, you running for a while or climbing over a wall or, you know, whatever, and injuring yourself that way. So, well, uh, can you describe what the Gora games are uh, just for anyone who doesn't know what they are? Yeah, so it is a two-day fitness competition based around uh, special operations training, right? So the idea was you're going to show up uh, Friday, 3 p.m. We have no idea what any of the events are. We don't know how many there are. We don't know if we're going to be sleeping. We don't know, right? Like, is this going to turn into Bud's Camp? Um, it's Go Ruck. It's put on by Go Ruck. They're an apparel brand, and this is the second time they put on the games. So you can anticipate a long, heavy ruck. We were instructed to train heavy, right? But besides that, we have no idea what's coming. You're going to know the event when you're on the start line, right? So we got there at 3 p.m. We got our, our ruck with a 45-pound plate in it. Um, and they said, all right, in, in an hour, we're going to go through the BFF. Um, and that is our baseline functional fitness test. So we started off with um, maximum reps with an 80-pound sandbag. So burpees, and then you have to throw the sandbag over your head. 
two-minute AMRAP. And then we immediately went into two-minute AMRAP hand-release push-ups. And then we immediately went into an 80-pound sandbag suitcase carry, 200 meters for time. And then we finished that off with a 100-pound, one-mile time trial with a, with a rucksack on, right? Um, so that was our evolution number one. That's immediately what we got into. Uh, and then Perfect. it was, all right, <laughs> dude, it was, it was awesome. And then put your packs on. Uh, we're hiking to the beach for evolution number two, right? So we got to the beach. Um, we got into the, in the water, you know, like just like knee, knee to waist tight. Uh, and then we got kind of the instructions on, on what was to come, uh, why we're doing what we're doing. And then the objective was, all right, you're going to run with your 45 pound ruck in one direction until you see the cadre, which are the, the special operations instructors running the event. And they're either going to tell you to turn around and keep going. Oh, also. Whoever's in first has to carry the American flag and it is tied to a 30 pound barbell. So the leader has, to, the leader has to carry the flag. If you want to go into the lead, you have to take the flag. So what we ended up doing is we, a group of about six of us were running out front and we were just cycling the flag every 60 seconds um, until people just started nice. to fall off the pace. Right. So yeah, unknown distance, you know, they're like, it could be six miles or it could be 40 miles. Just go until you're told to stop, right? And at, event, at one point, we'll tell you to put the flag down. Um, and the flag ended up being able to get put down at mile 10. And then the the ruck ended up finishing at mile 16. Um, and we started at 8.30 p.m., right? So it's getting, it's dark. You know, we got our headlamps on. And yeah, I mean, the fastest time was two hours and 50 minutes. I came in 2.56 for third place, but people were out there up to up to four hours. And that was, yeah, uh, I got to imagine that was day one. <laughs> I got to, I got to imagine at, at, at this, at an event like this, there are a lot of people who, well, how many competitors in total were there at this thing? So there was actually only 10 male competitors because there was supposed oh, to be okay. 15, but five people just didn't even show up on the day. Okay. So con- that's completely opposite of what I was going to suggest or, or, or ask, but like maybe in the world toughest mother is a little bit different where there's people who are serious athletes like yourself who are trying to actually win these events and training specifically for them. And there's probably some people who just compete in them just for the sake of competing. They're obviously athletic and like in shape, but they're doing it more for fun or for like a mental challenge or for, you know, some, some other thing in their life rather than like, Hey, I specifically trained all year for this event. Um, but I guess go, go Rook is not, is not like, doesn't <laughs> definitely does not sound like the faint of heart. I obviously consider myself generally fit, you know, but I would absolutely not be able to do any of those things in, in even a remotely reasonable time period. So, uh, yeah. So, so it's totally different than what I, what I was going to get at with the, with the number of people competing and like, but it is nice to see or hear that there, there is a team element to this individual event. You guys all realize that like, Hey, we're all in this together. Like it's, it's going to be a lot easier and better for all of us if we share some of the load and, and, and work together to complete this. So, but at the same time you're competing. So I'm sure that that's a little bit awkward as well. Yeah. And it's like, again, uh, then you get to put down the flag. Right. And if you're in that front running pack, like now you're racing, right? Like you had to get there together to, to maintain that pace. A 30 pound barbell is a lot, especially when you already have a 45 pound rucksack on. Right. Yeah. And everybody yeah. that got invited. So go rock games was an invitation only event. Right. So everybody there okay. was like, is either had competed last year and done really well, um, has a world title, a world record holder, like really prestigious athletic field. So it was like the difference between one and 10 for a lot of the events was there were not big gaps. <laughs> right. 
So how did you go about actually training and preparing for, for GORUCK? Like what was your, what was your process like? Yeah. So, um, get used to having that rucksack on. Right. So I just, I maintained high volume. So again, I was coming off a of world's toughest mutter from November that took me out for entirely two weeks. I couldn't even walk well on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just slowly built up into running. Once I, I got my first like decent mileage running week, probably this was early, early February. I finally touched 70 miles again. So my objective was I'm going to hold at 70. That's getting me up. You know, I'm, I'm still really building aerobically there, but okay. Now hold on. Sorry. You look mean at the, 70 miles, 70 miles in a week, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I know you're, I know you're a savage, but I wasn't sure if you meant 70 miles in a day. <laughs> okay. No, a week. Yeah. 70 miles a week, <laughs> 70 miles a day. Anybody's getting run into the dirt. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so maintain like really good base mileage. I know a lot of it's going to be on feet. I'm assuming. Um, but now what are the, what are the potentials? They said train heavy. I need to start picking up some heavy weight in the gym. I started back squat and I went on a 12 week back squat program. Um, just a five, your basic five, three, one, right. Um, with, yeah, getting to, to move my one rep max up. And I was actually able to, I started that, that block off with a five by five at 225. Uh, and then on week 11, I was able to, or 10, 10, I think I was able to do my five by five at, uh, two, 280. Right. So like, okay, now I put some good strength on. I got it. I got to start getting used to moving some good weight around. And now <clears throat> I know they do a lot of sandbag work, right? That's one of their products. That's something that they're always trying to push. Um, so what, what are the potentials with the sandbag? I know they love to throw stuff overhead, right? So I started to do some Metcons where I would have the sandbag, right? And I would get like two kettlebells. I'd have my rucksack on. I'd do a hundred meter farmer's carry, run back, drop down, sandbag burpees, throwing it over the head and just like really trying to get anaerobic. Cause it's not something I've touched in a long time, focusing on those 24 hour events. And then I also... Um, I was, I was grappling in the gym now, trying to get in there at least once a week, right? Which is, can be potentially hard to fit with everything else you have going on. Like, it, it, I, I was considering that an intensity day, squatting heavy on Mondays, Tuesdays, I'd have my sandbag workout. Wednesdays, I'm grappling in the gym. Thursdays, I'm on the air bike and I'm putting in like good efforts, right? Like, so VO2 max style, like three to five minute hard efforts, short rest, you know, five, three to five sets of that. Um, and then Friday, now I'm going out for a long, like tempo ruck, right? Um, so now I've got the pack on warming up for a couple miles and then getting into like, I don't know, like, let's call it like hour to, to 90 minute effort. Right. And, and just throw a tempo in the middle of that. Um, and then Saturday I kept pretty chill, but like intensity for me, at least like some facet of it, five days a week, um, maintaining really good running volume. So it was like, you know, 17 to 20 hour training weeks. Yeah. Which is obviously a lot, but it's, I think the more impressive part of that is the ability to sort of map it all out in a way that like, okay, what can I recover from so that I can get, so I can push hard in the thing that's the next day, but it's not, it's not impeded by what I did yesterday. Like if my squats are impeding my ability to run the next day, then pairing those things up on back-to-back days doesn't really work because you want to train hard every time you train, but you want to train hard in different aspects, which is probably, if anything, it's a saving grace. Like you can, you can work really hard maybe on the bike and that might not affect your grappling and and it'll be different for each person, obviously. Um, was there a lot of 
guess and check of, of trying to figure out your training program or did you sort of map it out in your head and just knowing your own body and your own ability to recover and whatnot that you're like, all right, this will make sense and then just execute. Yeah. I mapped it out. Um, anticipating guess and check, you know, I'm like, I, I actually don't know how going from the stair mill and the squats into the sandbag workout is going to feel the next day. Right. So like give myself the grace to like put it down if I need to and like take the day if it's there, um, which I only had to do, I think twice in that full 12 week training block. So it was actually like the plan was, was pretty applicable across the board there, but I was I, I anticipating guess and check it again. It's something pretty novel to me trying to throw all of these variables in. What would you change about the way that you prepared for, for next year? I'm sure that you've run through this many times in your head and probably during the event, you're like, damn, I wish I did this more. Like, what is, what is next year's prep look like? Yeah. I mean, I need to be in the grappling gym all year and you'll, you'll find me on the mats a minimum of once a week for the next 52 weeks. Um, that's where I lost. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that, the, just, gotta, just, just for context. Off. Just for context, DJ, just explain what the what the finals of the event look like for people who don't understand how grappling has to do with sandbags and rucking. Okay, yeah. So um, the first two days held uh, nine of those evolutions, right? And those you got it was a point system to put you into a bracket, right, a seating location. And then when you got to the last day, Sunday, now you went head to head for single elimination style uh, events. So I actually got in at number eight seed. So I went up against number one seed. Um, and the first event was last man standing overhead hold single arm, uh, with a 53 pound sandbag kettlebell, right? So if you hold it over your head the longest, you get to move on. Boom. I got that one done. And then we move on to grappling. Um, and they had wrestling last year. So it was anticipated. Again, I spent, I spent some good time in the gym. Uh, I probably put in that 12 week block. Um, I don't know, I probably put like 12 to 15 hours of grappling in. So I was, I was ready. I didn't have nothing to work on. Right. But that's a lifelong skill as well. But yeah, so yeah. it and, was and no a, real grappling before that, right? No real grappling. No, no. Um, yeah. So it was a, a pit made out of sandbags. You kneel down in the center and you went palm to palm with your opponent and they would give you a count three, two, one, go. And then your objective was to score points via submission, or you could remove your opponent from the pit, or you could perform a fatal blow with one of the weapons that they had put inside the pit, which was either a knife or a gun, right? So a fatal blow with the gun was all you had to do was cross the barrel in front of them. A fatal blow with the knife was you had to touch them on the torso. But again, so you start locked hands to hands, the weapon is going to be on either far end of this circle uh best three out of five wins what a way to what a way to finish then an event like that after everything and it's just <laughs> one on one on one and like who who can get it right and it definitely it definitely plays to certain people's advantages and uh, obviously is disadvantageous to someone like yourself who is not an experienced grappler i'd imagine some of the other compar- competitors there who are maybe they wrestled in high school or they they just regularly wrestle or do jujitsu or whatever. And of course, an event like that is more favorable to them, but they still have to get through all of the other stuff to, to get to that, to get to that point, right? Someone who's a legit wrestler is of course going to beat someone who doesn't wrestle 10 or 10 times. That's just, <laughs> just how it goes and how, how martial arts goes. Um, it's not just about being, being tough. There's some, some skill and technicality there, but I can see, I can see it kind of in your, in your face, even like it, that one stings a little bit. 
Oh yeah. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. I'll think about that for the next year. Um, I'll, I'll button that one up for sure. And it was a good battle too. I did like, I didn't get smoked by any means. Um, yeah, I, I lost three points to two points. Um, and two of those points were, were via the weapon kills, right? One was the gun. One was the knife. We had a, an epic knife standoff at one point, And it was just like, they, they, uh, they rewarded aggression in that regards, right? Cause he lunged at me and like, we probably poked each other like, who knows, milliseconds apart. Right. Um, but again, he was the one who lunged, right? So give it to him. Kudos. He, he beat me at the end of the day. So I got nothing to say there. Um, yeah, that, that's one I'll be, I'll be chewing on for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. You always get to go again. And right. And that's, that's part of, that's part of the beauty of it. There's always another, there's always another chance. There's always another shot. And you know, maybe one day you'll, you'll retire and stop doing that. But, that day's uh doesn't sound like that day is anywhere soon. No, it's nowhere in sight at the moment. So I mean, honestly, I'm um I hate you know you hate to say it, right, but you, you pick good parts of everything, right? And I'm better off for losing. Um, I don't think I would be in the mindset I am today if I had won that battle. I don't think I would have been back in the gym like I'm about to go into the gym. And I when I really get into these things, I I obsess over them aggressively. Um, and I have no mm. choice. It's just like. I wasn't like, okay, I'm going to do go rock again next year and kill it. Like, I'm just like, I can't think about anything else. And it's been over a week now. So, um, yeah, uh, the things that those, those little failures and those little shots, they hurt and, but they kind of drive you forward. So, right. Let's go. How do you then switch gears to the, to the next event? I, I, you're, you are competing in world's toughest mother again at the end of this year, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So how do you, so, how do you go about switch gears and, and get geared up for that. Yeah. So, um, I'm still going to be lifting pretty heavy, right? Just maintain good strength. I don't, I don't need to focus as much now on like building strength, but just making sure I don't lose any of it. Um, I need to right. be kind of more bulletproof upper body and things like that. Right. Cause it's 24 hours of obstacles, but like the real main focus is going to be, I need, I need to get really, really good at running and spend these next few months. Like that's got to be the focus. I'm going to be on the biggest obstacle in the 24 hour race is being on your feet for 24 hours, right? Like I'm not going and taking mm. naps. I'm not coming out of the pit. I'm not sitting, you know, or into the pit. I'm not sitting. I'm going, going, going. Um, and I won last year. So like, I, yeah, I want to defend my title, but the real goal this year is to go out and run 125 miles and, um, yeah, set, set world record mileage and, and take one of their trophies that they've never given away yet. So yeah, I need some really good aerobic work and, unbreakable legs <laughs> yeah i was i was just gonna ask what the what the actual mileage is because it's not the the one lap of the course is not that long as far as distance but you're doing it as many times as you can so obviously you accumulate a lot of miles over the over the 24 hours so if you're if you aim for 125 miles is a serious <laughs> serious amount of mileage obviously yeah yeah that's the main goal that's what i want i want i want to go i want to go put up a number that scares people now obviously you know you won last year so so, so you obviously did well enough to win and, and all that. What is your biggest thing that you need to improve on from last year? And how are you going about doing that? Yeah. Uh, so I think, well, obviously, like, again, just get better at running, be able to yeah. maintain a, a slightly faster pace for a longer period of time. But outside of that, I have started to get some upper body cramps in the middle of that race last year through the overhead obstacles. And then there was like, um, a slack line. It was a stiff line actually, but then you had to traverse it from under the line. Right. And okay. after doing that 15 times, I'm starting to get bicep cramps and chest cramps. And like, I would take my headlamp off and, and throw it around my neck for that. 
and I'd come and traverse it, hop off. And then I couldn't get my arms up to like even put my headlamp back on my head. So I'm like running straight on like, Hey, help. Can you put this back on so I can see? (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah. And then there was one obstacle that I wasn't able to do even from the start. Um, and I think like only 15 people had actually completed the obstacle on the day. And who knows if that was literally like the same person doing it 15 times in a row. Um, yeah, cause it, it was hard. What, to what keep. was it? It was an, an obstacle called chunky monkey. So it was some tires suspended from monkey bars and then a banana grip suspended from monkey bars, right? So you could stand on the tire, grab this banana grip hold, move to the next tire, and then a set of descending monkey bars on the other side, probably for a total of like maybe 30 feet, right? Um, but the, the bitch about that is that you had just come out of a mud pit. Your hands are caked in mud and water. You've literally been, you know, this one opened at 8 p.m. actually. So you're eight hours into this race. You've been wet for seven hours of those eight hours because Tough Mudder just loves to throw you in water. Um, and the high, it was cold this day. So normally in Atmore, Alabama, it's like a high of 80, low of 60 this time of year. We had a high of 55 and a low of 30. Um, so it was, it was freezing out, right? And you're in water, you're cold. You maybe you got your knee, you got your wetsuit on, your knee, neoprene mittens. And that made that obstacle. Like, yep. I got to the monkey bars. I started my descent. I came right off. Boom. And, you know, so now I either have to use my single obstacle bypass band on that, or I have to do a penalty for it, which was sitting on like, um, one of those big bouncy balls with the handle. And you had to bounce around like a hundred to 200 meter loop right as your penalty and and it looks silly right and that's kind of tough yeah. thing they like they like to get a little ridiculous but it's also like very challenging like you're in a squat it's blowing up your legs yeah, yeah so just bulletproof in the upper body a little bit more and making sure i am ready for any any obstacle that's in front of me and i can do it all right because then that that's going to be my way to 125 miles is just like yeah no no penalties nothing getting in the way no cramps. I guess that's a thing that that's less that's less thought about when we think about endurance. Typically, we think about endurance as running or cycling or maybe even swimming, but climbing for endurance is not really a, a thing that most people would think about, right? We don't do a lot of distance anything with our with our hands, most people, anyways. Um, so, so is your strategy just spending time like in climbing gym in like the ninja kind of gyms on monkey bars and that kind of stuff? Like, how are you going to go about tackling that problem? Yeah, so um, I definitely plan on spending some time in the climbing gym. Um, actually, I was in there for a significant, um, significant amount of time going in to go ruck, but I had uh, ripped one of the pulleys in my finger on my left hand a couple weeks in, so I actually wasn't even able to to do anything with my, my left hand for like six weeks leading into that event. So I, it's better now, um, but again, just got to ease myself back into the climbing gym and get the confidence to grab a hold. Um, cause that sucked. It was like pinch grip, just grabbed it. And all of a sudden you hear a snap. Right. And I'm like, Oh, that wasn't good. And then it felt okay. And then the next day I couldn't even make a fist. Right. But yeah, I'll get in the gym. Um, I'll just spend, uh, you know, there's a, a gym around the corner too. That's got some obstacles in it. I'll get on that for obstacle proficiency. I'll do some long endurance efforts. And then a lot of my work is going to be done on just like a pull up bar and hangboard. Right. Um, right. a ton of isometrics. I'm going to go into a five, three, one program with the pulling as well. Again, these percentages that I talked about earlier, right? Just like get really strong. That's not going to put on a whole bunch of mass, but if it does, it's not, it's not going to be detrimental as long as I actually get a, a, a lot stronger. Yeah. And just 
spend a lot of time hanging from my hands and just getting used to being in this locked off position. I guess one of the one of the benefits of the variety of events or activities involved in, in your sport is that when you do injure something, there's so many things to work on that it's it's disappointing and annoying, of course, to work around an injury, but like, you know, you're you can't close your hand, like, all right, we can work way more on other stuff and then you'll deal with the hand and whatever's needs to be done with your grip when the hand is better. Whereas a sport that's maybe more specific is like, well, if you can't do the thing, then you can't do anything. It's very hard to train around an injury in a sport that's very specific. Of course, there's always stuff that can be done, but, but I think that's probably one of the, one of the benefits of the variety, right? And your, your hand is not great. Great. All right. That doesn't impact your ability to, 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 to run or, or to cycle or to whatever, right? You just still plenty to train on. Exactly. Yeah. The hand, the hand went on a commission and we just focused a little bit elsewhere, right? We just maintained running volume. Um, and instead of doing like that sandbag workout for a few weeks, I started to put some straps on and just like move a little bit of like dumbbells around and just try to like keep the biceps and keep the back going. Right. Cause I was like, well, I can't do the most specific thing, but I can, I can get as close as possible. Right. And like, let's yeah. just, let's just keep working. There's always something. Yeah. Now there's, there's a big process to everything that you do. You, you've got your training mapped out over weeks and months and, and leading up to events and aiming to peak for certain times and all that stuff. We often talk about trusting the process and following through and consistency and all that kind of stuff. How do you know when the process isn't working and when it's time to change gears? Because sometimes you know, we, we make a plan in our head and it doesn't actually work out that well. And then it's like, all right, well, I can either continue to trust this and maybe there's an element of that too. But at some point it's like, all right, this is actually, I've followed through. I'm training hard. I'm doing all the things. It's just actually not working. Do you have a a framework for how you evaluate the effectiveness of your training prior to your performance at the event? Yes. So some benchmark tests, I think is the best way to continue to measure that, right? So you start your training block. It's like, what is the purpose of this training block? Let's say it's uphill climbing, right? You do some sort of treadmill test, right? Like find a really sterile environment on somewhere you can go back and do the exact same test can be very repeatable, no new variables, right? So get on the treadmill, throw it at 15% max distance in 60 minutes. You go through your block, right? It's like a 12 week block. Let's say seven, eight weeks in, you're like, all right, I should test this again. Did I improve? Did I not improve? Right. And is what I'm doing working and okay, I got better. Let's carry on. Right. Oh, it didn't work. Maybe I need to start reconsidering some variables or maybe it's not the training. Maybe it's what you're eating. Maybe it's your sleep. Like it's everything you have to really have under a microscope. Um, and I heard Anthony say at one point, right. It's like you need still water to see the ripples. Um, hmm. so you just leave everything the same all day, every day. And, and that's how you know. And, and then you tweak small things. Right. And then you're like, okay, now did that. Are there ripples? Did that change anything? Um, and if it, you know, it got better, right. Then maybe that was the thing. Um, if it didn't get better then okay, we could put that in the bucket of potentially bad stuff, right. And try something new. Yeah. But everything outside that, like you wake up at the same time relatively, right. You eat the same things, you do the same routine. Um, you do the same workouts all the time and you have that one tweak and did that make a difference or not? But yeah, they just test and retest and test and retest. And yeah. And then if it's like race day, right. Did I perform? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, before it, you got, and also you, you have to, you have to trust it. You have to, you have to have faith, right? Like it's, you don't need a perfect plan. You need the the plan you believe is perfect most of the time. It's just like, you got to stick to it and 
and grind it out. But yeah, use some yeah, and relentless, some relentless and execution. Relentless, yeah. The, the the test and retest is I think beneficial for for everyone in any pursuit, whether you're you know extreme endurance athlete or just like a regular person trying to get in better shape. But I think want to highlight what you said is the is keeping in mind all of the variables that it might not be just your training program that is the thing that's off. It might be your sleep, it might be your nutrition, it might be a whole host of other things. And I think that's one thing that you guys do so well is like your routine seems to be like super dialed obviously you guys are all working together and, and helping each other and like you know it's it's also the thing that you guys do right you're not sitting at a desk for 60 hours a week and then trying to fit your training into all the other stuff like this is what you do so like your stuff is it's 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 dialed and, and it should be and that's what it needs to be to be at the level that you're at now other people i can't maybe you know lay out their entire day and week as precisely as you can but I think paying attention to those variables and how was your sleep? How actually, how hard did you actually train? What did you eat these weeks? And like actually paying attention to what you're doing, keeping track of it, and then making notes on what needs to change or what could improve rather than just like jumping ship. I'll scrap it all. It's the training program. Cause like, like you said, it's, it's not often that the training program is so bad that that's the thing that's, that's happening. Like as long as your training program doesn't completely suck ass, which is, pretty hard for, for yeah. it to be that bad like it's like you'd have to be doing something really dumb to have like a really really bad training program that's not producing any results it's it's more often uh more often something else but i think it's so impressive how you guys have stuff so dialed and and also support each other right like one thing that's very impressive to me as well is that all the sports you compete in the events like they're all individual events like when you're doing the thing like sure the other competitors and you know you change change who's carrying the flag and and all that stuff and there's a big support crew of cheering and 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 all that stuff but you're just you're there doing the thing by yourself but you guys train together and like work together so how important is that team environment for you in your build-up and having training partners and having competition partners and whatnot like what does that all mean to you yeah it's it's accountability you know um i think that's that's a major portion of it and like me in my position, hanging around Anthony and Josh in particular, um, they're fast. They're they're better than me at a lot of these things, right? Especially in, in the training aspect. So it's like I'm comparing myself to some of the best that that's out there, the best trail runners, the best road runners. Um, yeah, so it's like this level of, of accountability for myself that like I always need to be progressing to get to get closer and closer to these guys, right? And then it's like, hey man, um, I'm going to the cold plunge. 9am you come in most of the time like yeah we're coming right like we just do it right like you see somebody doing mobility on the ground you're like all right let me do my mobility real quick right it's like hey going out for a long run you come for the long run and it's just just helps it helps you build momentum with each other you push each other along we're always supporting each other we have a really good team environment over here and like then you get into these races and you know sometimes we're racing against each other but you still want to make your people proud right it's like you know, we, we train and we build up each other all year and we get to the start line and we give it a hug. And we're like, all right, dude, let's battle today. You know, he goes, this is what we're here for. But yeah, just push each other. Having good training partners. Exactly. Like you guys are training with each other who are among the best of the best. And so when you go to compete, like often your, your toughest competition competition is, is each other. And you, you know, we can all say like, Oh, it's just, it's you versus you and all that stuff. And like, it is, I'm sure you're always, you're always aiming for personal bests and whatnot, but at the same time, like you, you want to win. You're not going out there for a, for a Sunday, Sunday jog. And it's like, there is competition involved in this. So that, that element of winning, but also 
because it's all year round and there's so many aspects, it's very easy to, you know, you wake up one day and you just, you just don't feel like you have it, but you got to do it. So, you know, on the day where you wake up and you feel like you just don't have it, but you know, Anthony's all jacked up or Josh is all jacked up to go do whatever's on schedule for that day. Then they drag you along and you get, you get, you get into it and you're good. And then maybe the next day, you know, you're all jacked up to do whatever's thing. And Anthony's having a down day. And like, then you guys, it goes in the reverse order and you just like keep firing each other up, which is, which is awesome. So I think that it's underrated how important like the team environment, training partners, coaches, and, and accountability is for, for all of this stuff, even though it's an individual event and the same goes for, you know, regular people's fitness, right? You're in the gym, you're doing your thing. You're the one who's, you know, trying to get in shape and whatever. You yeah, gotta have a good support network around you. For sure. Everybody like glorifies this like, you know, lone wolf warrior mentality. Right. And like, <laughs> You, you need a bit of that, right? Like if you can't do it on your own, then you can't do it with people. I, I definitely believe in that. Like you, you need this to be some internal force that you want to drive towards. But then, yeah, getting around these people who are doing the same thing as you are very similar, like parallels. Yeah. Push each other along. What's the end goal for you? You left New York, <laughs> moved to Colorado to, to train and to pursue. What did you leave to pursue? It wasn't yeah. about winning World's Toughest Mudder once. You've done that. You want to win it again. You want to win it 10, 15 times. But what are you really pursuing out here? Yeah, that's a great question also. Um, I'm pursuing my best. You know, um, I, I I am out here to give my all to something. I've half-assed a bunch of shit in my life. Um, this is not something I am going to, to half-ass. I'm here to give my heart and soul to this and for the rest of my days. Um to see what I can do and, and you know what kind of person I can be if if I dive all in, man, and I put all my energy towards something, I uh, and I happen I'm starting to find success, right? And again, that comes down to the consistency. And it's just like, yeah, relentless pursuit of my best. That's what I'm here for. It's it's very impressive because the success doesn't come very quickly, right? You have success later, but you've put in years without seeing i'm sure there was minor successes and wins and improvement and stuff along the way right but doesn't just like okay i'm i'm a ultra endurance athlete i'm all of a sudden winning events now like you start doing a thing and you obviously suck at it the first time you do it just the way we all suck at everything the first time that we do it and it's like all right well i like this enough that i think that i could do this better if i train harder and train more and see it through but man it is hard to do that. And it's hard to move your life and in pursuit of that thing. So like huge kudos to you on that. I'm sure that that was a wild decision and like a wild couple months when, when you first moved out of New York. It definitely was. It definitely was. Right. Like, so when I got sick, I had this nice sales job and everything, right. I'm super comfortable. I make some decent money. Like I don't, I don't have to worry about much. Um, and then you get this little mind shift, mind mindset shift. Right. Uh, and I'm like, all right, I kind of, like, I care about this stuff, but like, I've got like, I'm just being drawn towards like using my body and seeing what I can do again. Like I've, I've like tried it a couple of things and I'm like relatively good to start, but I've never like dove in and really tried to see what I was capable of. And, you know, I, I juggled everything for a few years and then I was like, all right, I don't want the sales stuff anymore. I'm sitting in a car eight hours a day. It's not conducive to like the thing that my, my heart is, is pulling me towards. Right. So I got rid of that, got my NASA, uh, personal training certificate, found a job in a gym, did that for a couple of years. And then even that, I'm like, man, like I'm, 
I'm missing a piece of like what I'm still potentially capable of by spending my time here. Right. And I love what I'm doing. I love helping these people. Like a lot of it was just like people getting into fitness in general. Right. And it's like starting their journey and that felt great. Um, yeah, but I'm like, I, I need to totally put myself in this role and make it all consuming. Um, so, you know, go to my, my parents at one point, um, I'm still living pretty close to them. And I'm like, Hey, I think, I think I'm going to go to Colorado. Like, oh, that sounds great. A trip to Colorado. I'm like, no, I think I'm going to stay. And like, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to try to be a professional athlete, you know? And I'm like, who am I to say that at 25 years old? Um, but a little bit of blind faith and, you know, <laughs> uh, again, it is a pretty crazy, crazy thing like, to say, to be fair to them. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Yeah, for sure. Right. And like, they're not that happy. They're not stoked. And then I'm like, I'm going to try it. Like I've said what I've said. I've made up my mind. You know me. I'm going. So, uh, I, I think I can make it work we're going to find out. Right. And then a year later I get my, my first world title. Um, yeah. And they kind of go, okay, I see, see what you were doing now. Yeah. And then it all, it all, it all makes sense. But again, doesn't, doesn't come by not being all in. Like, you know, when you described your training schedule, that's not something that you can do while having a quote unquote real job. Like it's not, it's just not possible. You can, you can compete in these events while having a real job, but you're, you're never, you're not going to win. Like if, if I'm sitting at a desk for 50 hours a week and I, you know, go for runs after work or, you know, train a little bit here and there three, four days a week, I have no chance of beating you who's training full time and recovering full time and doing all the things. And that's okay. Like not everyone has to win these things. There's a lot of other benefits, I think, to to competing in these events and maybe not the the extreme ones, but like a regular tough mutter, not the not the toughest mutter, like doing certain obstacle course races and whatnot. And I've never done one. I, I would actually love to do one maybe later this year, maybe next year. Yeah. But but I think that uh there, there's a lot more to it. Like I again, I would have no intentions of winning because like I just that's just not my thing. It's just not what I'm I'm not going to schedule my whole life around that. And that's that's fine, but uh, but going all in on something is probably probably the most valuable lesson there, and I think that a lot of people never really go all in on on anything in their life, and maybe that's a bit of a bold statement, but it doesn't have to be something physical. It can be like whatever your job is. If you want to be like the best freaking accountant in the world, like then go like <laughs> go go do that. But like but but do it. Don't kind of yeah yeah I, I I show up to work, I clock in and clock out, and and then go back and then we have this this feeling of uh not accomplishing things and not uh, not living up to our potential and not going all in and i think that that's something that's probably missing a lot from from society and we're all guilty of it to some degree i believe my myself included yeah i think that's fair right like you know i was doing a, a lot of these things right like i'm working and training and like still want to be the best. And it's just like, I had this, this thing tugging at me. It's like, you need to do this. You need to do this. And I think everybody has that for something again, right? It's like for, for whatever it is, right? Like for what your work, music, art, whatever that passion is, like you likely have something. And as I'm saying this, you're listening to it. You're like, you're like, Oh yeah. Like you immediately go to it. Cause it's always there. It's always whispering in your ear. Right. And it's like, I say, listen to it and, and, and dive in and, and do the thing and pursue it. Cause like the, the alternative is never knowing what you were potentially capable of. Yeah. In, in your, yeah. in your pursuits. So you gotta go all in if you want, if you want real success in something, you have to go all in. I feel like the, the biggest thing that we regret in life is usually not stuff we did, but it's stuff that 
we didn't do. It's like, I wish I had done this rather than, oh, I, I did this thing and like, and it sucked because sometimes we do stuff that sucks and it was dumb. And like in hindsight, you probably wouldn't do that again, but you learn something from it at least, right? I like to think, you know, people ask me, oh, do you have any regrets in your life? I usually think, no, I, I don't because I like who I am now and everything that I've done up until this point got me here. So no, I don't have any regrets, but like, is, are there things that I, I, I can see myself regretting in the future if I don't do them now or, or try them over the next whatever, however many years. Like, yeah, like definitely. So I'm with you. We, we all have that thing. And like, like you just said, DJ, as, as you're saying that, like there's something clicking in your brain right now. People who are listening, there's something clicking in your brain right now. It's like, oh yeah, I did want to do that thing. Like do it, whatever it is, yeah. <laughs> go do exactly it, make it work. It <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not easy, right? You, you know, you, you left, you leave the good big cushy job you leave you leave the big city you go live in in colorado which not that there's anything wrong with colorado but like whatever it's a just totally different lifestyle and everything and it's very hard to do move away from your family and all that stuff but it's in pursuit of something greater and it's not for forever it's going to give you a lot of good stuff and even if it didn't work out and if you never won a world title i'm sure you'd still learn a lot and have some great experiences and say hey i tried it i did the thing and back we go if you if need be right yeah i approached this obviously not knowing that i was going to be able to win the world title right um like I thought that was kind of like years down the road. Um, and I was ready to make that commitment. I'm like, I'm going to do this forever. Well, I have, well, I can, right? Like, again, like I have to know that's, that's it. I have to know if I can do it. Otherwise I just, those 10 years go by and I'm like, I wonder, I still wonder what would have yeah. happened. So I, I made the jump and I, yeah, it was probably one of the hardest decisions of my life. So I'm like, I'm going to have nothing. I'm going to have nothing. I literally, I go, I'm going to start like, all right, where's all my pennies? I can start putting them in a pile and, and rationing out the rest of my life. Right. Uh, yeah. And it was like those phone calls to like my boss and my parents and my sister, like the most anxiety ridden discussions I've, I've ever had. Right. So I'm like, okay, now I'm, I'm pulling the trigger on it. Like I'm saying it out loud, like it's happening. And so yeah, it was very difficult. But was it, was it harder to live in the time from when you kind of made the decision in your head that you were going to do it, but you didn't actually pull the trigger, like however long that lag was until you actually did it. Then it probably once, once you moved, once you got there, once you started doing the thing, it was a lot easier. Cause like just that, that anxiety is gone of like, ah, oh, should I, I want to, but this, that, and like, oh, the, the job and the home, and like that is a hard place to, to live in. Like what was, how was that? How long was that lag time between when you were pretty confident that you wanted to do it between actually doing it? Yes. Yeah, so I like really made the decision internally, November of 2021, after my first world's toughest mutter attempt, I got third place. I was like, I did well, but what, like there's another level. What is that level? Yeah. It's doing it full time. It's being a full time athlete. It's moving into the mountains. You know, it's living at altitude. And that was the decision. Um, and then I had officially like started to tell people probably, I think it was like maybe like February, you know, like, and then I moved out at the end of March. So like two months of living in that, like, uh, I got, I'm pretty sure I'm going, like I'm going, but I haven't told anybody I'm yeah. going. I haven't made plans to go. And like, I'm still working my job and I'm sitting there and daydreaming. And that was, yeah, that is, that was uncomfortable. Certainly. Cause uh, I knew what I wanted to do like in my heart and in my head, but I like, especially like just telling the people around me that I was going to be leaving to pursue this thing. And it probably sounds ridiculous to them. Right. Again, 25 yeah. years old, um, you know, or at this point, you know, I'm 28, right. When I'm actually going to go, full-time. I'm like, I'm going to go be a professional athlete. Dude, 
people are way past their prime at your age. Like you're <laughs> like, this isn't, this is not the correct <laughs> choice for you. Um, and I heard that, you know, but it's like, yeah, yeah, that was, that was, that was a hard place to live in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause on, on paper, like it, it's not a good life decision. Like it's certainly not a good financial decision on paper. Like it, cause you're, you're playing with probability, right? You, you're, you're one injury, like whatever. There's so many things that we don't need to go into it. It doesn't matter. But like on paper, it's, it's not a good decision, but that's what everyone else sees. What you see is like what you feel in, in your heart and in your brain and what you want to accomplish out of life. And that's something that no one else can actually know and actually feel and actually calculate in the decision and so like only you could do that and like go all in on it and i think that goes for for anything that someone wants to achieve is like no one else can actually know what you're feeling and how much that thing means to you if you want to paint a painting that's going to be in a museum or, or art gallery or whatever like no one knows what that thing means to you except for you and so you've got to like trust yourself and i think i think also calling your shot publicly or at least like publicly within your circle it definitely helps like hey i'm gonna go do this and then those people can be like hey you fucking said you're going to do this, like get going or stop talking about it. Right. Like right. P- pick one and then, and then do it. Right. Or, or just like, don't bother me about this. Cause you sound ridiculous saying you're going to go live in the, live in the mountains and, and run. And then you're just not doing it. So like, what's going on here? Right? Either, either yeah. get going or, or shut up. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. I had, I had some friends and like all the time. They're like, Hey man, I want to start training. I'm like, show up at my house, you know, five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You're like, Oh, I got to do it too early. I'm like, yo, Come pick me up. I'll take you to the gym. Weeks and weeks, weeks go by, nothing. And then all of a sudden, my buddy starts showing at my door. Boom, boom, boom. Five o'clock in the morning. He's like, "All right, let's go to the gym." I'm like, "Oh, well, I said it. Let's <laughs> let's get on." But yeah, totally. <laughs> like you just gotta act. Yeah, don't talk about it. Like again, you just you're paying for it every single day if you're just talking about it, and you're not getting anything exactly. out of it. So yeah, and 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 a diff- very difficult place to be. Are there any other events that are like very much on your radar? A thing that you haven't tackled yet, or like coming up in the next year or a couple of years that you really want to really want to get after? Um, so again, like world's toughest, I want to go run record mileage over there. I want to put 125 miles on the board. I want to go back and I'm, I'm going to win go rec games. Like I'm, I'm stuck on that. And then we'll kind of, we'll see after that. I, you know, I, I still do have a calling towards these really long foot races. I want to go out like Moab 240. Um, there's the Cocodona 250 happening right now. And I'm like, that's a place I, I definitely want to go and experience. Uh, I think I'll do well at it. I do like, I don't know, the longer these things seem to get, um, the more, uh, the better I, I get at them, you know, disproportionately, like not real fast, but these real long events, I can just kind of sit in the suck and grind it out for hours and hours and hours and obviously like days at this point. So yeah, some of those real long foot races are, are still calling to me. There's never going to be, never going to be a shortage of, of challenges. And like, if, if someone finishes all the challenges, like somebody's just going to come up with something else. Well, well, let's do a 300 mile race through the tundra. Like what, what fucking, I don't know what people will think of. People will think of something crazy to, to, to accomplish. Right. Yeah. It's like, there's always one in one up, one up, one up, one up. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Uh, DJ, this has been, this has been really good. I think there's a lot of like really powerful kind of takeaways for people from this. If they listen closely to, to the things you're saying and like the dedication that you apply to yourself and, and your endeavors, like really shows through, uh, through, through everything that you've said today and through your social media and just the dedication that you guys put in and the hard work and, and also the precision. Like there's one thing to be said about guys who just go out there and grind the hardest and like, they don't actually show what they're doing or there's no method to the madness. Like 
not to say it in a negative way, but like the David Goggins attitude of like, oh, just get up and go, motherfucker. Like, that's great. But like, there's no, there's no, there's nothing tangible there other than like, just work hard. And so I think that the way that you guys do things and the way that you guys display what you're doing and, and the takeaways from it is, is very powerful for people and a, and a lot of uh, really helpful advice. So, so I appreciate the work that you guys do and, uh, and, and the work that you do and, and you know, uh, applaud all of your accomplishments and all and everything coming down, down the road for you. No, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. It's like, you know, you need, you need that, that savage in you, right? But yeah. you still have to be like cerebral um, and methodical. <laughs> you can't just, I don't think you can just go and beat yourself into the dirt without a real sense of direction. Um, not if you want to take it as far as you possibly can. You, you definitely need to be sharp between the ears and analyze and test and retest and just understand everything that's going on and break it apart, analyze it. And yeah start to write the ship and, and carry on. Totally agreed, man. Where can people find you online and, and like what's all your contact info and, and best ways to get a hold of you and, and whatnot? I'll throw it all in the in the show notes, but uh but rattle it off here for, for the people. Yeah, you can find me primarily on Instagram. My handle is at D E E underscore J A Y underscore F O X DJ Fox. You'll see me there. I got like lots of training up, like daily daily life stuff. You can reach out, send me a message on there just to say hi, or if like you're interested in getting into some endurance sports, don't know where to start. Or if you know, you're kind of, you're, you're already in it at the moment and you want to see how you could potentially bring it to the next level. I do offer online coaching. Um, so just pure coach and athlete right now. So yeah, shoot me a message on there. Give me a follow. You'll see everything I got going on. And yeah, that's, that's kind of where my, my life sits for the public as of right now. Beauty. So at D underscore j underscore fox all spelled out i assume you did that so that people don't think you're like a a music dj <laughs> dj fox years. does sound like a dj <laughs> name so yeah. definitely yeah someone's got it <laughs> for sure um any last messages you want to leave the people with here dj man i think i've said it it's like if you got something that calls to you you should pursue it the worst thing you could ever do in this life in my opinion is is wonder and not know on something that you really you know wanted and needed and you got to give yourself that. Hell yeah, man. Appreciate yeah. you. Thank you so much, DJ. Um, everybody at DJ Fox on Instagram and, uh, you know, plug into everything he's got going on. Give me a follow as well on Instagram at Daniel Yours. Rate, review, share the podcast, help spread the message. Go chase your dreams. Go chase whatever you got burning inside you. Go do the things. Um, that's that. Share this with a friend. It's always the best way to help us. <laughs> and go outside. Be a good person. We'll see you next time.